2: Welcome to Total Saints Podcast. We're back for another look at all things Saints FC, discussing what's happened since our last pod and what to expect before the next one. It's Valentine's Day today, of course, at time of recording. So in truly romantic style, I've left my wife spending her Valentine's evening on her own, flicking through the TV channels downstairs, asking herself the age old question, what's more important, me or that podcast? Obviously, it's her. I'll just have to make sure I tell her. After this podcast, anyway, three different individuals we can all agree we love strictly for their Saints views and opinions: are Steve Grant, Glenda Lacour, and the Athletics Dan Sheldon, and they've all shut themselves away for the evening as well, as they're once again here tonight. Evening, chaps. Evening. If, if, yeah. It was evening. evening.
3: Well, whatever. <laughs>
2: Glenn's not feeling overly optimistic about the pod tonight, but come on, we'll, uh, we'll sort ourselves out, Glenn. Uh, but uh, yeah, Dan, uh, an enjoyable Valentine's Day then, obviously watching Saints lose at St Mary's and then coming on the pod, stuff of dreams.
3: It is, absolutely. I've not eaten dinner yet, so I've got all that to look forward to after the pod. So yeah, I think the the less said, the better, I think, after after today's performance my highlight my my girlfriend i don't think listens to this podcast so it's probably i'm safe to say it but my highlight came earlier at saint mary's when i was asked if i'd used a slow cooker yet that's about <laughs> as good as today got yeah and what was the answer <laughs> the verdict is no i'm afraid not until Still you know. move house that seems
2: to be the not uh, until i move house right. that's an official official line isn't it but uh, there we go just to touch on uh, an excellent saints quiz uh, that you and uh, Alex did with The Athletic on Friday night then in aid of uh, prostate cancer, of course, so a very important um, cause. I know a few of our listeners were on there, including TSP patron Mark, who, uh, thanks to his lucky bid, I think, came third.
3: Anyway, pleased with how it went? Yeah, really happy. Thank you for asking. It was successful from our point of view. The main aim was to raise as much money as possible um, for Prostate Cancer UK. It's such a fantastic cause. So really happy with that, I thought. The questions, when I when I did the questions, I had Steve in mind in terms of how hard they should be. So I'm glad he didn't win. Otherwise, I'd have been wasting my time. <laughs> there, <laughs> were, no, there, thought, were some,
4: there were some absolute coin tosses in there, weren't there?
3: Yeah, I, I thought it was a good level of a lot of people should get this one, but they may get it wrong anyway. And there was a good level of kind of these are really challenging. Yeah. So I, I, I was quite happy with how it went. Um, the main the feedback we had after the night was all good. good. So, yeah. Yeah, good. Thank you for asking, but yeah, very well, thank you. Good, good. And yeah, Steve, as Dan mentioned, a very
2: respectable fifth out of 41 uh, finish for you. So are you happy with that performance, or is there room to, to work on for the next one?
4: Um, I mean, I didn't win, so therefore you're kind, you're kind of always uh, uh, slight, slightly disappointed, when, particularly when the question's basically geared towards everything you know. But um, <laughs> no, it was... Um, it was it was a yeah it was a, it was a fun couple of hours and uh I mean to, to be honest I'm actually quite quite glad that I don't have to don't have to then do a, do another one on more generic
2: stuff uh, for the grand final because obviously that won't be um, uh, Saints specific quite as comfortable no indeed and uh, yeah I, I certainly enjoyed it I, I think uh, although I was annoyed you picked me but I think it was 19 points in the end but uh, bearing in mind I think I was 31 out of 41 at. Uh, After the first round, I think, uh, yeah, taking uh, sixth place wasn't too bad. But it was good to see so many people on there, as Dan said, and uh, hopefully uh, look forward to the next one. And um, Glenn, Wednesday just gone. 10th of February was uh, 41 years to the day since Laurie McMenemy stunned World Football by signing two-time European Footballer of the Year, Kevin Keegan, at the Potters Heron in Romsey. We'll come on to why that's relevant to the pod in a moment or so. But before we do, given it was pre internet and mobile phones etc etc tell us the story of how you found out about <laughs> Kevin Keegan signing because it's quite a good one
5: um I was 11 years old at the time and I was at school and uh, bearing in mind I was at school uh, in Portsmouth which is where I uh, where I where I grew up really and one of my teachers came up to me and uh, he knew I was a Saints fan and he, he said um did you know you've just signed Kevin Keegan and I, I and I thought, no, he's, he's, didn't think anything of it. Obviously, I knew who Kevin Keegan was and didn't really think much of it, really. And, you know, he was the England captain at the time and we knew he was, you know, he was a, one of the best players around. And, um, it, it wasn't until I got home, until I saw my dad clutching a copy of the, of uh, the Daily Echo, whatever it was called back then. Yep. He was going bloody hell.
0: We've signed Kevin Keegan.
5: <laughs> and then you saw it on South today. In, um, or whatever the, whatever the news program was on the TBS or whatever, <laughs> whatever case, it was at the time. Or yeah, Go, yeah. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> and, and then, then you see it and it, and it all became real. But in, in a funny way, I wasn't really surprised because we'd signed sort of England international players, people like Dave Watson. We had Mick Shannon. We had Alan Ball. So I didn't really, you know, being 11 years old, I didn't really appreciate the significance, uh, and until, until much afterwards. But, um, it was, uh, it was quite, quite nice that my my teacher wasn't winding me up um (laughs) I don't know if he supported Pompey or not to be honest um but uh but yeah but back then it was uh you know there there wasn't the they didn't seem to to 11 year old me there didn't seem to be the amount of agro around the Southampton Portsmouth thing as there um as there as there was later on yeah yeah maybe that was just because I was young but it was (laughs) um yeah it was uh yeah it was a pretty cool moment and uh it was nice to uh nice to uh, remember that it was 41 years ago
2: indeed and uh, yeah it's uh, a great account and uh, you're right i mean uh, these days i think the the player's the last one that hears i think all of us here on social media before a move happens don't we but uh yeah it's interesting i was talking to my mum about it as well because she uh worked in the barclays bank branch in southampton back in those days and uh, said to me the other day actually um that uh, a customer had come in at the time and was telling them all in there that uh you know he'd heard on the radio that the saints had signed keegan and of course no one uh in the branch of that stage really uh, believed him or anything like that. But uh, obviously it did true uh, turn out to be true. And uh, ironically, I saw it's actually Kevin Keegan's 70th birthday today as well. So uh, happy birthday to him. Anyway, what's the relevance of all of this to TSP? I hear you ask. Well, thanks to the efforts of uh, Jeff, Mick and Joe, who are really, uh, must say, a public call out to uh, thank them for their brilliant assistance. Um, TSP 150, which will be out later this coming week, features an exclusive in-depth chat, with the man who signed Kevin Keegan for Saints, Mr. Laurie McMenemy. Glenn and I caught up with the great man earlier last week, alongside discussing how he attracted Keegan to the Dow. Also relived that incredible day on the 1st of May 1976, the subsequent homecoming and reflecting on a 50-year love affair with our great club. It was a privilege to speak with Laurie and our patrons have been enjoying early access to the interview and I think Hope have found it a great listen. So look out for it in your podcast alerts midweek. It'll be out after this one. Right, just finally before we get going this week, I wanted to give a quick shout out to a great initiative which may be of interest to you and in particular your children wherever you are. In the world, Mike, who's a massive fan of Saints and regular listener of TSP, got in touch about a project he is involved in called Zoom Ballers, which focuses on the physical and mental well-being of children between five and 15. So the note that Mike sent was: Zoom Ballers was set up by a Chichester kids football coach to provide free Zoom-based football and fitness sessions for any children aged five to 15. The priority is to help their physical. ...and mental well-being during lockdown. There are generally about five to six sessions a week... ...and some of those have special guests on for Q&A with the kids at the end of the session. So far we have Michael Keane, Adam Webster, Mason Mount and Joel Ward. Next week there is Connor Chaplin, Farah Williams and Darren Bent. We already have kids from USA and China joining with anything between two to 400 per session. All sessions are tailored for indoors in a lounge space... Charities supported by this initiative are Teenage Cancer Trust, Sussex Snowdrop Trust and Chestnut Tree House on a voluntary donation basis. As stated, most importantly, this is free for all. So if you'd like to find out any more on it, go to zoomballers.com. So that's z w o m B A double L E R S, zoomballers.com for info. As I say, sounds like a fantastic initiative, so do give it a go or tell your friends if you're interested. I'm sure Mike won't mind either, but if you do want to make contact directly with any questions or ideas, etc., then you can find him on Twitter at so Mike Judges One. So M I K E. J-U-D-G-E-S-1, at Mike Judges 1. Okay, the pod. Our agenda for this one is as follows. A look back at the two games with Wolves, our 2-0 win in the FA Cup and the 2-1 loss in the Premier League at St Mary's, providing an unwanted club record. In the middle, we've our latest international supporters club, as Panos from the Greek Saints drops in for a chat. And lastly, Thomas Tuchel brings his Chelsea side to St Mary's next weekend, so we'll preview that game and get some dodgy score predictions to finish. After possibly the longest introduction in the history of podcasting, underpinned by our amazing TSP patrons, this is TSP 149. This is the Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Steve Grant, Glenn Delacour, and the Athletics Dan Sheldon. This past week has been all about walls with Saints' initial FA Cup joy being tempered with another Premier League loss in the subsequent match earlier today. Much like Arsenal last month, revenge being achieved. Glenn, let's at least try and start this section with some positivity. Good to win at Molyneux on Thursday night and progress to the quarterfinals.
5: Yes, very much so. Um, we were largely excellent in that game. First half, we were a better side without scoring, missed a couple of sort of half decent opportunities. Second half started with an almighty missed sitter from Stuart Armstrong, which had us all thinking, you know, this is going to be one nil to Wolves, having, having just missed that. But, um, yeah, we got a bit of fortune with uh you know they say when when strikers go on a run without scoring a goal you want one to go in off your backside or something to get you, get you up and running again and that that's basically what happened with with Danny Ings opening goal. Bit too close to the keeper. The keeper made a good save and he 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 was unlucky that it bounced off Danny and uh, rolled into the net. Uh, we had a, the obligatory look at VAR um which again the linesman had shot his flag up for no reason at all. Um but we got away with that one. Uh, well, we didn't get away with it. It was the correct decision. It was onside. Missed another sitter after that. There was no response from Wolves. That's was, that was interesting, uh, bearing in mind today's game as well. that There was no real response from Wolves. They didn't do anything. Nathan Redmond missed a good chance and he was clean through. And we eventually wrapped it up in the 88th minute with um, some good play by Nathan Teller to um, set up Armstrong for a very good goal. So, yeah, it was... It was good and it was it was you know we compounded it by getting a good draw in the next round as well Bournemouth away is um i mean there's a bit a bit of local interest with it obviously, and it's i think they're probably the lowest ranked side left in the competition so it's it's good from that point of view um and if we can if we can beat that uh, beat them we'll we'll obviously be in the semi final so it's
2: um yeah it was a good uh, a good day all round that one mm. Yeah, and it was, uh, as Glenn says, Dan, a game that Saints largely controlled up there at Molineux. Um Obviously, significant factor for for the club was the debut of Mohamed Salasu, who I know you wrote about in The Athletic uh, last week. Um, of course, making his first game uh, for the team seven, eight months after his last uh, match, really, in, in sort of any professional level. What did you make of his overall performance?
3: Yeah, I I was impressed. I mean, he wasn't absolutely outstanding. But then, as you've just said, he's not played football for you know over half a year so there were there were undoubtedly gonna be some shaky moments. We saw those shaky moments, but I, I thought he did well. Wolves are regardless of how many changes they make, they're still a good team. I'm sure after the game Ralph said Salisbury wasn't nervous at all, but I'm sure there must have been some nerves. It's been a tough tough time for him really. So I was I was happy just to see him on the pitch and we saw him again on the pitch today. I know we're gonna to get to today's game a bit later, but the fact that he's he's getting these minutes behind him now is is really good and the, the club have always kind of viewed him as one one for the future. And I think if he can stay fit now for the rest of this season, have a full pre-season under him ahead of the 2021-22 campaign, then I think that will bode well going into, into that campaign. But ultimately, regardless of his fitness at the moment, he still doesn't really get in the team ahead of Vestergaard and, and Bednarek. So the best he can hope for is coming off the bench here and there and perhaps... As Ralph has done with Forster, where he's made it clear that every FA Cup game Southampton play Fraser will feature, maybe the same could be said for Salisu. Maybe we'll see him featuring the the quarter final against Bournemouth. I'm sure Ralph wants to give him as much game time as possible, and the play will be absolutely desperate as well.
5: It's a bit like it's a bit like Diallo, isn't it? They they've bought these lads in. They're they're both very young. I think this season they'll basically be backups for when. People get injured, but you know, next year's the season where hopefully you watch them, watch them go and they nail down a regular place.
3: Yeah. And I mean, up until Diallo, I mean, Diallo looked really, really impressive, didn't he, for those, yeah. those games. And then he got injured, which was just a cruel, cruel blow to him, really, because he was really, he seemed to be really kicking on. And now we're going to miss that. And I still don't know when he's going to be back fit. But hopefully, when Salisu has the same amount of minutes as Diallo, or maybe Diallo's just at a further stage in his development, I don't know. But hopefully, Diallo goes on that kind of. Um, Salasu, sorry, goes on that kind of trajectory as well. And just gets better with each each game he plays. Yeah. Well, the stats
2: showed uh, eight clearances, two interceptions, four of four aerial duels won by Salasu, 48 of 55 passes completed and 69 touches overall. Obviously, a clean sheet to go with that. Um, Something else that caught the eye, uh, which I know Hazen Hotel, I think, called interesting after the game, Stephen, again, we'll get on to today's game, but he stuck with it, was um, obviously Nathan Redman playing in a more forward position as well. As Glenn mentioned, he had a really good chance when he cut inside and then fired at Ruddy. But what did you make of that? um sort of changed by uh, Hasenhuuto in terms of pushing Redmond into a more forward role because of course last week in the pod we were talking a lot about him almost stopping attacks and playing backwards from a midfield position it almost felt to me like that then encouraged him to push forward it
4: did but well, i still found it a little bit of a surprise move because obviously we've seen this season that the the Ings and Adams kind of partnership has has kind of really borne borne a lot of fruit for us, and while obviously the goals have dried up fairly significantly for us in um, sort of since Christmas, the partnership up front was kind of the one the one thing that we kind of thought that we still had going for us. Um, so to break that up for uh, for that big cup game, particularly to give um, Redmond, whose form has been ropey to say the least. Um, was quite a surprise, but you could, you could see the logic, certainly in terms of, uh, Redmond's movement himself. He was getting into much better positions. Um, and that carried on where he stayed in the same, uh, stayed in the same role today as well. I mean, I, th- I, th- I mean, the execution was still lacking a little bit, but that's, I think that's ultimately a player who's not quite entirely confident in his own game at the moment, especially in, in a team that's, Basically, been losing every week for the past month or so. So, I mean, you can see the logic, and I think he, I think Harzenthüller was specifically targeted Wolves' um, three-man defence for this for this specific tactical change. So, I wouldn't expect to see it as a sort of long-term solution for him. No. But, but certainly against Wolves, where they play the three, man, three men at the back, and to be honest, they don't, apart from uh, Willie Bolly, they don't have an awful lot of pace in those centre-backs. So Redmond running running the channels was always likely to kind of drag uh, drag defenders out of the way and, and give us a little bit more space for Armstrong and I mean today uh, Minamino should have been should have been doing that a lot more and and Teller when he obviously when he came on late in the game um, obviously had a good impact and affected the game really well I thought but Redmond I and mean, Redmond obviously had that had that one chance where he went clean through I think he I think he chose for once he actually chose the the right decision to turn back to cut back inside because I think the defender were, the defender would have just thrown himself in the way and he'd have blocked it automatically. Um, the only thing Redmond got wrong he didn't quite get the finish. Basically a, a foot to the right and the keeper's not saving it with his with his backside. So I, yeah, I don't don't particularly blame him for that for that miss. And he kind of did ev- did everything right up to the up to the final shot really. So I wonder whether kind of hope you kind of hoped that that. Um, improved performance and him looking a little bit like his old self uh, to an extent might have uh, might have kind of kick-started him uh, for the season but um, I guess we'll have to have to wait and see on that.
3: On Redmond I was having this conversation at St Mary's earlier I think it's also really important for him he's almost is I mean I don't know it maybe it's too strong to say he's reinventing himself but if you look at those number 10 positions you're not going to get ahead of Stuart Armstrong because he is just invaluable to this Southampton team. And Minamino has come to Southampton with the expectation that he's going to be playing. So if you're Redmond, it's probably, you know, if Ralph's giving you this uh, a go up front with Ings, it's in his favour to to do as, as much work as possible or to make it a success. Because if he's not up front with Ings, he's probably going to be on the bench. So I think there's maybe something in Redmond buying into this because he realises, well, actually, if I don't do this or I do this badly, I'm going to be back on the bench.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's got, got to play. score some goals. Yep. He's got to score some goals. But I mean, that's the, whole team, that's, so. that's the that's the problem. You know, Che Adams isn't scoring any goals. And if Redmond's not scoring goals either, you've got, you've got to say, okay, who's, who's contributing the most out of those two? I'm with Steve on this one. I'm slightly surprised that Adams got left out because that, that was – you know, if it's a tactical reason just for Wolves, then fine. But uh, So it'll be interesting to see what happens when we play um Chelsea next week.
2: Yeah, agreed. Well, it was uh, a decent-looking draw in the next round, as you mentioned earlier, Glenn, with the, the trip to face Bournemouth. Obviously, it won't be easy, but you'd always take a, a draw, I think, against a, a lower league side, uh, wouldn't you? Especially with um City and United and Leicester and Everton and teams like that. But um let's swiftly, but unfortunately, move on to the Premier League game then, uh, Steve. Not for the first time with Saints over the years. A game very much of two halves.
4: Infuriating once again because I mean basically against Wolves this week we've we've had three good halves at four and unfortunately that four has been uh, fatal for us in. Um, in terms of points, I mean, that's the second half today was just absolutely diabolical. And given the position that we got ourselves into, where I mean, Wolves had basically barely laid a glove on us for 135 minutes and we were in such control of that game. Um, like looking at the Twitter reaction, like there's, there's quite a few sort of prominent, uh, Wolves fans in, in the media, like, uh, Jackie Oatley, for example. And I mean, the kind of reaction to their first half was not too dissimilar to the reaction to our performance at Newcastle last week in the wolves were basically ab- in mean, that first half they were absolutely pathetic and the game should have been done and dusted by half time but the problem is that we seem to have this mental block um not just against wolves because i mean in the in the game last season where they came from two down to um to win it um uh, nuno made um very distinct tactical changes which which was the catalyst for them turning the game around, and back then they still had a, they were in good form and doing well in the league, so it wasn't it wasn't the sort of huge disaster that that I think today possibly is. But today, I mean, Wolves didn't change, there were no material changes to their team at halftime, there was no tactical shift. But well, they swap they swapped the wingers over, didn't they, and that was quite significant, i thought well I mean it's difficult because i don't I don't think either of them really did anything to begin with um the first of the, the penalty came from basically their their right wing maximido um basically just taking a pot shot that was probably in absolutely no danger, and we've ended up conceding a penalty from it let's face it we're all, we're all bored of talking about these um, yeah, the one on it because <laughs> it's. It, it's just we we're, we're in we're in this absolutely insane run of games where we're getting big decisions go go in the opposite direction and you just kind of think come on lads give us a break at some point and it's it's just it's just not happening for us at the moment um in that in that sense which is frustrating it's i mean there are well i mean there there are many ways to describe it not all, uh, none of them pleasant but I think unfortunately, we, as I say, we have this mental thing when things go when things start going against us, they go against us big time and we kind of accentuate the negatives and we basically just didn't play in that second half, and it then got increasingly desperate when we make make a couple of um, substitutions to try and get back in get back into the game after going two one down, and we just lose all sense of shape and from from that point. There was, I mean, unless unless, some, unless we got a proper sort of major lucky break, a big rub of the green, uh, we weren't getting anything out of that game from that point, uh, for me.
2: Agreed, yeah. And uh, Dan, we always like to try and be positive, and uh, I think level-headed is the word I quite often uh, use on here, but uh, yeah, a new club record uh, of six league defeats for the first time in our 135-year history, so not a pretty reading that.
3: No, not at all, and... So I mean I echo a lot of what Steve has said. To be honest, I don't. I don't, after the game when I've got to sit down and write a, a thousand words, I'm just tired of thinking about referees, thinking about VAR, thinking about injuries. At some point, you just need to take like you need to take ownership of the situation. That's six league defeats in a row. Now I know in between those they've beaten uh, FA Cup teams. You can... If you wanted to be an arsehole about it, you could say, well, Arsenal made loads of changes and so did Wolves. And then when they went back to near a full strength, they beat Southampton both times straight after. But I I honestly think the Premier League season is, is over now. It's essentially finished. Southampton won't go down. They won't finish in Europe now. It's about can they finish above where they finished last season? And at the moment, if you're being brutally honest, you've got to say no, they probably won't because... You look at these next three games and they could they could easily lose these the next three. They're not easy games by any stretch of imagination. The bright spark of course is the FA Cup and you've mentioned that the favourable draw they've got, then I think you'd expect them to go there regardless of league form and still beat Bournemouth. They have got more than enough to, to do that. Today was just again just just tired of just tired of seeing the same thing over and over and over again. And after the game Ralph said that we, we, we can only control what we do. We can't control what the referee does or what the VAR do. We can, you know, we run as much as we want to run. We, we score, we try and we can only try best to score, et cetera, et cetera. Now, OK, the the handball. Yeah, if you give the Bertrand one, you have to give the other one. So there is that. Absolutely. I, I believe that as well. However, the way Southampton reacted after that, it was just flat. It was almost like, well, there's our excuse now. We've got our excuse. If we don't win, that that's the excuse. We can blame the referee again. Blame VAR. Let's blame the guy sat in Stockley Park. It's just it's just not good enough. And I sound like a broken record. And honestly, I am so tired of talking about defeat after defeat, referee after referee, VAR after VAR, squad depth injuries. Whatever I don't know it's it's hard to say honestly I'm just uh, exhausted with the with the whole thing I'm and I'm not even a supporter so God knows how you guys feel well, I, I was
2: going to say I mean I, you know I wasn't going to ask Les about the VAR and penalties you know everyone can make their own judgments and I think you know we spent enough time on the pod over the last few weeks hence I wasn't going to raise the the question particularly because I don't think any of us necessarily know what a handball penalty is anymore Dan but one point I did want to just briefly make Dan it was interesting I thought bearing in mind everything that's happened the last few weeks bearing in mind how restrained and sort of Playing with a straight bat, I think was the phrase I used the other day. Ralph has been about VAR that he was quite publicly outspoken, which is something we've obviously spoken about on the pod the last couple of weeks as well. You know, it'll be interesting to see what comes from that. But there was a clear sort of shift in his emotion towards
3: it. I think so. Absolutely. After the game, he referred to it as VAR destroying, destroying football, which is it was quite a turn, actually, because in the build up to uh, the FA Cup game, he was asked about, you know you're not you're not feeling too too sorry for yourself or or anything or anything like that and he he kind of hinted that he doesn't ever want to be I, I i've got the quote actually now. i've just found the quote in front of me the last thing we should be moaning about is how unlucky we've been or refereeing decision that has never been a topic i agree with and it will never be for as long as i'm sitting here so that lasted long yeah, <laughs> <Five> days, yeah. <laughs> Listen, Three days. so he's clearly just but what can you do I mean we can only say that they weren't penalties or Southampton should have had a penalty. it just gets boring after a while I, I uh, thought
5: there was an element of deflection about his interview after the game to be honest because he you know he basically moaned about the VAR and then said oh, I don't want to talk about anything else but you know the fact is we we remind me of an 800 meter runner who's got one tactic which is to sprint from the first you know from the gun and he might get to the end or he might collapse and die <laughs> And it's, it seems like if any, you know, if any of the other runners catch him up, he's got absolutely no response, and that that seems to be the way that we are as a team. Uh, Wolves up their game in the second half. They, you know, they they Couldn't made be the, any worse. They made the switch and they and they they played with a bit more intensity. Now we needed to up our game, but we had nothing. We had no other gear to go into. I thought the substitutions were very strange. Um, you had Nathan Teller, who had a great impact off the bench only three days ago. And he was left off. I I didn't understand that for starters. Going to three at the back, Ginepa at right back. God give me strength, you know. I mean, it, it's just there. It, there was a bit of a sh- bit of a shambles going on. So I, he's I, he's going to push Cedric for foul throws this season, by the way. Yeah, I know. I know <laughs> can't and take then a throw foul, in. Then
2: a foul throw. He <laughs> can't sing, take a throw in.
5: The ultimate sin. But yeah. you know, I, I think there was an element of deflection straight after the game. And Ralph was clearly very put off about it. He he'd probably seen the replay um In the meantime, while he was waiting to be interviewed, but you know, I just, as Dan says, you've got to take ownership of it a little bit. Um I, I don't think he had a great day today mm. either. Mm. Um and you know, it'd be interesting to see what he does now. I mean, if Walker Peters is out for any, any length of time, are we going to try and
2: shoehorn Jack Stevens in it right back again? Yeah, or play Silasso and push Bednarek over there or something. Yeah, I mean Yeah, yeah.
5: Bednarek, oh, Bednarek over there won't be any better than Stevens Just was agreed. in the Newcastle agreed. game.
2: Yep. You know, so
5: but you know, this is the thing. We're playing we play high octane football, we've got a condensed season, we've got a small squad. So we need to back back the manager and get him more players. I know you can't do it out of a transfer window or or, we, or, the, or Ralph, you know, he gets paid a
2: lot of money. He's got to mm. find solutions, mm. um, given the cards that he's got. Agreed. Steve, look, let's uh, try and find a positive. Um, fantastic goal from Saints. Uh, brilliant lung-busting run by Stuart Armstrong and uh, a brilliant finish from Danny Ings. Yeah. Um, I mean, Armstrong's...
4: Stuart Armstrong's been doing that sort of thing for the best part of a year and a half, maybe maybe even longer. Now and it was kind of that that one moment of quality that we've not really been showing in sort of enough moments this basically this this calendar year really and a fair bit of help has got to be uh, got to be given to uh, Sumido again who obviously who obviously won the penalty in the second half but he him basically just. Offering a token gesture of a dangling leg to try and stop him out on the uh, out on the touchline really helped because he actually then blocked off his teammate um, from covering, which was uh, very handy. See, once once he got to the byline, it would have been very easy having sort of bust your gut to run sort of 40, 50 yards with the ball to then basically just put the ball in an area and hope that that somebody's on the end of it. But you could see that he'd picked out where where Ings was and also Redmond deserves a lot of credit um, here as well because it would have been very easy for him to try and attack the ball even though he'd have been going away from goal he obviously got a shout from, from Danny Ings and basically used his body to block the defender off and meant, meant that he Ings was completely unmarked and um, I mean that was one hell of a finish I mean let's 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 be honest, but if any if any of us tried that we'd either miss the ball completely or if we made contact it would be one of those ones where it basically makes contact halfway up your shin and just rolls all the way down.
2: I'd have tried to edit. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And uh yeah, Dan, um, I was interested to ask Patrick, who's one of our listeners, mentioned it earlier actually, but um his his point was along the lines of, you know, can we put the poor run down to anything in particular, you know, is it the officiating decisions aside, you know, is it confidence or is it fitness or game management, a lack of leadership, a, a bit of everything. I mean, do you think there's anything obvious that's sticking out, or do you think it is just a a perfect
3: storm almost? That was one of the questions I was asked by my editor earlier today, and it, it's so difficult to put a NAID, uh, you know put a nade on it because it, there is it is it is more than just refereeing decisions. What what bad refereeing decisions did Southampton have against Newcastle? From memory, there weren't any. In fact, they went in their favour. They were they were playing against. Okay, one one was an injury, but you know, the Newcastle had a man sent off. Whatever. It can't always be about referees and, and injuries. There there has to be something deeper to it. Is it the nine nil? Of course, that's going to bruise. I mean, that is that is bruising. No matter how you look at it, it's it's going to dent your confidence. Losing nine nil twice is is not ideal, and a lot of those players are still the same. So that would that would be a blow to the, the players' mindset, I'm sure. But there's just got to be something that today when. When they don't get that decision in their favour, or wolves come back and get a penalty, someone just got to stand up and say, "Look, lads, let's beep and sort it out." You know, this is we can't fall back into this situation now where we've almost been gifted an excuse. If we don't win, we can turn our attention to Stockley Park. There has to be what what it is. I don't know, and I I agree with Glenn. Premier League managers are pay a handsomely paid. He's he has to take some of the blame. I think he, it, Wolves. I know Steve didn't think it did too much, but Wolves did make a, a tactical change at halftime by swapping the wingers. And whatever what, it may or may not have led to the goals or whatever, but it certainly led to Wolves improving. You know, their second half showing was much better. So why didn't Southampton react? Why? Why could they not have done yeah. something different? Could Could Ralph not? I mean, remember the first match between Wolves and Southampton, uh, Molyneux in the league? How in like entertaining that that draw was. From a tactical point of view, it was like the managers were going toe to toe. This time, it was almost as if Ralph had no answer to what Nuno did by swapping his wingers around. And I'm not going to buy the fact that he turned around and looked at the bench and there, was, there were no alternatives there because there were alternatives on that bench. You can argue about the quality of alternatives, but it wasn't like it was against Leicester, where it was full of kids and Shane Long. There were I- experienced players on that bench. Shay Adams, Jenepo, Teller's still a kid. He's played a few games. Like, Glenn, why wasn't he on earlier? What has Jennepo done that Teller hasn't done? Are we missing something? So uh, what what it is, there, there definitely is something, something is amiss, but what that is, is quite hard to quantify at the moment. I think it, it does run a lot deeper than just, Squad depth injuries and VAR.
2: No, well, I appreciate you bringing out your personal bleep machine there. That saves uh, me and Alex a job. So well done, thanks. Um, Jonathan, one of our patrons also asked a question during the week, Steve, which uh, just be good to get your brief thoughts on because uh, it's probably equally as valid uh, uh, after the the Wolves game today. Um he he, wondered whether Ralph could and, and maybe should be getting a bit more assistance from his coaching staff on the touchline. line we know a bit like you know the likes of Klopp and Guardiola the sort of modern coach it tends to be you know we see a lot of Sammy Lee don't we in the box for, for West Brom but that's not doing uh, necessarily loads and loads for Allardyce but Harzenhutel we, we often see him don't we he sort of stood in the box on his own trying to gee up the team get him going you know it's almost like I think Jonathan's question was around whether another voice or a few ideas in Harzenhutel's ear during the uh, the game might help a little bit so I don't know what your thoughts are on that
4: um possibly i mean i it's difficult difficult to tell from obviously from the t v coverage how or whether whether um whether there's any input from any of the other coaches at all i don't know whether um kits gets gets involved and get gets up off the off of his seat and go and Goes and stands in the corner of the the technical area and shouts something, shouts an instruction to someone, or whether whether Ralph has has decided no, I'm go- I'm going to be the guy that's micromanaging everything from from here. You you guys all stay back. I'll if I want your opinion I'll ask. We don't know. We don't really get a view of of whether that happens. I mean, Dan may Dan may be slightly better placed because he's obviously at the at the home games at least. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I mean there was kind of a question that that i've i've kind of wondered wondered for a while what does kelvin davis do <laughs> um, just blame I, kelvin davis I, no no uh, th- this is this isn't like blame kelvin davis thing but it was it was something that that kind of struck me when obviously the news during the week that ratty jayidi has um gone to um has got the job at circle of bruges and obviously um jayidi Got a coaching role straight from retiring from playing with us, as did Kelvin Davis. And you kind of, there's, there doesn't appear to have been a defined While Joe role was obviously very well defined in terms of he was, he was, he was coaching the under 23s and then took over as the head coach of the under 23s when Martin Hunter moved on. Um, there doesn't seem to be a defined role for Kelvin Davis. Kit Spickler is um Hasen, was right-hand man Dave Watson is obviously the set piece guru the others we don't really the others we don't really know how much input um, they have Danny Roll obviously um, was credited with, with a lot of the, the good stuff in the early days with, with Hasenhuttle. And there was a noticeable drop-off in the immediate after-effect of him going to Bayern Munich that everyone thought, oh, God, have we actually just lost the, the ideas guy? But then Hasenhuttle kind of sorted it out after the the Leicester and Everton games in, in the, towards the end of 2019. And that kind of thought was parked and everyone forgot about it. Now, are we at a similar stage again where kind of we've fallen back into bad habits and it needs maybe just a different different voice to put the message across even even if the even if the end message is kind of the same maybe expressing it in a different way may elicit a different response i don't know you're listening
2: to the total saints podcast Going to the heart of all things Saints FC. Now a couple of weeks ago I caught up with Panos from the Greek Saints in our February International Supporters Club. Given that was a couple of days before the Manchester United game, I felt it a little unfair to add him into last week's pod, especially after we then lost to Newcastle as well. Thankfully the win against Wolves in the FA Cup at least means we have an element of positivity this week, so I feel a little bit more comfortable for Panos to get his airtime. So let's head for Greece, one of the sunniest countries in the world and also the land of plate smashing. This is TSP International Supporters Club, Greek style. Total Saints
1: Podcasts
2: International Supporters Club Okay, it's time for our latest TSP International Supporters Club This month we're heading over to speak to Panos Grigogorakakis One of the men behind the Greek Saints Founded in 1985, the Greek Saints are our oldest international supporters group Panos, firstly, thank you for joining us on Total Saints Podcast, very much appreciated How are you keeping out there? Hello Ben,
6: thanks for inviting me uh, I'm fine I'm Panos, for those of us who live in here. Uh, I was born and raised in Athens, Greece, and uh, I'm a journalist and a freelance writer by profession. How did you um, get into following Saints then, Panos? Yeah, it's a nice story. Uh, in fact, I started watching English football uh, at a time when Saints were playing in the lower divisions. Uh, the back-to-back promotions of the team uh, made me wonder whether they could perform equal well in the top five. So Havdon's first return Premier League feature was at 8 Stadium, if you remember, against yes. the Rain in of Manchester City. Uh even though Sens lost that game 3 2, the yeah. way they played against a side that uh, had won the title, the playbook here, really surprised me. Uh, and I think this was the turning point for me. From then on I can say that uh, I'm a devoted since, uh, since supporter. I followed the team ever since.
2: Yeah. I mean uh, I love the red and whites, right honestly. No, brilliant And uh, I uh, I was going to say I mean have you had the chance To get to St Mary's yet Or have you had uh, You mentioned the Manchester City game there I mean are there any other sort of Favourite games or players Over the years That you've enjoyed as well
6: Well uh, unfortunately I did not yet have the chance To visit the City of Southampton uh, But I really hope I will make it sometime uh, I'm sure the opportunity to watch uh, a Saints game Right from St Mary's Will be a thrilling experience Yeah I've actually been uh, At Stafford Bridge Towards Southampton, uh, in 2014, we lost that game, uh, 3-1. Right. But it was a good thing to see sense from, you know, up close. Yeah. Team. Yeah, just memorable, uh, games, uh, including the legendary comeback against Liverpool and mm-hmm. St. Mary's. Yeah. Uh, St. Long's uh, late call at Anfield, which yeah. sealed Saints' qualification in the League Cup final. It's also a game, uh, you can easily forget. The eight-nil against Sunderland, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, the back-to-back away wins at Old Trafford, just so many great, great games uh, over the years. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, as far as players are concerned, uh, my first ever censored had um, Ricky Lambert's name on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lambert was really a striker. I admired um, his ability to score with equal is in all divisions. Yep. His one hundred percent conversion rate from the penalty spot. His uh, career would let him uh, participate in the 2014 World Cup. Just a great football story yeah. and a legend for us, for the club. Indeed.
2: I'm trying to think off the top of my head, uh, panels. I'm not sure, and I may be totally wrong here, but I don't think Saints have ever had a Greek player playing for them, do they? No, no one springs to mind. No, line, so not. Yeah, not yet. yeah. Maybe that will come. But uh, there we go. What about Ralph's sort of current squad then, panels? Who are you enjoying watching in the team at uh, the moment these days? Who's your sort of one or two favourite players?
6: There are fact more. Um, <laughs> for example, uh Yannick Westergaard's uh, season right before his military uh came as a great surprise to me. I mean um, the dance went from being the number three centre back last season in the squad, to one of the division's top defenders. Um uh, inspired security on the back while uh produced some crucial goals up front. Uh, James Ward-Prouse is just a delight watching him play. Uh, he's having amazing seasons under Ralph's uh, management. Uh, he's everywhere on the pitch. He yeah. passes, he scores, uh, he has perfect set pieces. It's amazing. Uh, Dunnings is also a class striker. Amazing yeah. scorer. And yeah, Theo Polgot seems to enjoy playing again for Saints. Uh, he had some really good performances over the last couple of months, mm. and recently, uh, he looks a bit tired as most of the team right now. But uh, yeah, in all, it's just uh, a great comeback for, to have him
2: back. Yeah, uh, excellent. And and tell us a little bit about the um, Greek supporters club then, uh, Panos. You know, how did it get started? I, I mentioned earlier it was 1985, so it's been going a long time. That's my understanding anyway. But um, how many sort of many people are involved in it and that sort of thing at the moment? How many sort of members has it got? Okay, yeah,
6: yeah. As you already said, our uh, our group uh, was founded in 1985. It's the Oldest of this kind in Greece, this kind of group, uh, and it was founded by Lazarus Tatsopoulos. Um uh, Lazarus comes from Thessaloniki and has followed since for over three decades now. Wow. Uh, when I joined the group, uh, Greek Saints were mostly found in Athens and Thessaloniki. Um, today I can say that, uh, we have people join our group from all over the country. Uh, we're to have like 20-25 active members who constantly engage with our community, but the total number of fans will be greater.
2: No, well, that's still, as you say, it's a a good number. You know, every group has to start somewhere, doesn't it? And it's good to know that there's uh, people around. And how do you tend to keep in touch? I mean, we'll do some of the social media handles at the end in case people want to follow. But do you tend to have what sort of email groups or Facebook groups or sort of newsletters that you send around or just word of mouth? I mean, how do you tend to keep in touch as a group?
6: Uh we mostly communicate through our Facebook page, send group good supporters. Uh prior to the pandemic we used to gather in a famous sports cafe in the Center of Athens to watch the games. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fans from Saloniki had had a similar spot in Saloniki. Um, while it was not feasible to see each other in every game, we tried to meet as frequently as possible. And as the years went by, uh we create a great community.
2: Yeah.
6: And uh, yeah, it's nice to see that community expanding as time goes yeah by
2: no, that's good. And uh, I know we've obviously spoken to some of the uh, supporters groups in uh Australia, obviously spoke to Trevor and then sort of Argentina and things like that. But I know Greece is only a couple of hours ahead, isn't it? So in terms of uh, mm. watching the games and things like that, panels, it's not too bad in terms of it's not like you're getting up in the middle of the night. So generally manageable in terms of uh, times, yeah?
6: Yeah, well, the two hour difference between UK and our country is not so much of a problem. Uh, sometimes though, we struggle to find, uh, appropriate TV covers for the team, mm-hmm. especially when Saints are facing teams, uh, from the bottom half of the table, or sides come from the lower division during, for example, uh, the early, early rounds of the EFA Cup. Yeah. That's quite hard to find, uh, appropriate TV covers, but we we'll try to, yeah, find. <laughs> In any case,
2: we won't miss the match. No, that's fair enough. And what's the sort of general feeling like within the supporters group and your Facebook group from what you're seeing in here and how is everyone reacting to Saints on and off the pitch at the moment?
6: The general idea, it's like most of the fans here are impressed uh, with the way the team bounced back after the devastating defeat against Leicester last season. With all credit gone through, of course. Uh, The manager seems to inspire the players. The players are well motivated. Uh, the team in general uh, performed well on the pitch. Lately though, a series of uh, unfortunate results in the Premier League, combined with a number of injuries, broke that uh, good momentum. Uh, yeah, especially, as like you said, the home defeat against Villa uh, was a real frustrating to watch. There's some controversial VAR decision there. Um, yeah, most of the complaints of our fans are oriented towards the club directors. Um, we questioned the club's policy during the transfer window. Uh, it seems that players are leaving, but no one will come. Uh, we need to buy some players to increase the quality on the bench. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, the lack of depth will prevent us from uh, setting higher goals for the season. Mm. We have a really competitive starting lineup, but uh, you just can't expect to have them all fit and well for so many fixtures. Um, in fact, we see that happening right now. We are practically left with almost no win backs. Um, mm. The season is long, so we need more choices if we want to stay competitive.
3: Yeah,
2: And what about Ralph, panels just briefly on him, are you, are you a big fan of Ralph Hasenhutl? Yeah, I don't know anyone
6: who isn't right now. <laughs> 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 she, she's an um, amazing manager, he inspires, as I said before, um, great character, uh, takes the best from his players, um, yeah, he's, I think, a manager that if will give him... Enough time and uh, some support financially yep. by some players. Uh, we will see some really good uh, performances and results for the team.
2: Yeah, we already
6: do, but uh, you know, for
2: something better, even. No, I think that's fair enough. And uh, brilliant. All right. And if there's um, sort of other Greeks based around Europe or um, Saints fans living in Greece that maybe don't know about the group and uh, are listening to this podcast, uh, Panos, um, how can people? Find your various um, social media channels and how can they get in touch with the the group? Can you give us sort of a few pointers and maybe the uh, the handles and addresses? Yeah, sure. Uh,
6: they can send us some messages in our, on our Twitter account, Saints from Greece, or on our Facebook page, uh, Saints FC Supporters. When we plan an event, for example a meetup, uh, we always post detailed information on the aforementioned profiles. Yep. So follow these accounts to stay updated. You folks who want to join us, uh, we've met many members that join our VIP community that way. Yep. And hopefully we'll,
2: uh, welcome even more in the future. No, fantastic. Well, uh, remember, um, I think Trevor mentioning that if you listen to this and you, you search on hashtag global SFC, you'll be able to find our supporters groups. There's Panos mentioned there and we'll put it in the, uh, show notes as well, but, uh, the Twitter handle at saints underscore. Greece and the Facebook group is Saints FC Greek supporters. So uh, look them up and give them a, a follow. And uh, as I say, panels it's uh, it's been brilliant to catch up with you and uh, you know hear a little bit about the Greek Saints. Um, as we said to everyone, you know thanks again for for your time and uh, hopefully all of you and the the members out there can keep safe and well during the pandemic and obviously keep that Saints flag flying over there in Greece.
6: Sure, sure, sure thing. Uh, thanks again for having me. Hopefully we will talk again in the future.
2: This is the Total Saints podcast, proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons. OK, let's finish up this week by looking ahead to next weekend's fixture with Chelsea. Saints, as you'll remember, nicked a 3-3 draw. Well deserved, I should add, back at Stamford Bridge in October when Yannick reversed and and Vestergaard scored from close range in the 92nd minute. Dan, the most noticeable change from that day is, of course, the change of Chelsea manager with Thomas Tuchel having taken over from Frank Lampard. I suppose a couple of questions here, Dan. Were you surprised by the change? And still early days, of course, what job do you think Tuchel can do at Stamford
3: Bridge? I wasn't surprised by the change at all. I think from speaking to people who I work with, my, my colleagues, the the Chelsea writers, quite a while ago said that Chelsea were now looking at alternatives and then it, it almost just became a matter of when, really. It was a case of when do they pull the trigger? And it just got to the point where they felt, well, let's just make a change now. And I think Tuchel's come in. I think he's doing a really good job. I think he's almost going under the radar a little bit because of what's happening at Liverpool and obviously Man City are storming away with the title but there's obviously the goalless draw i think in his first game they drew nil nil with wolves he's not lost a game since and now they are they're back in contention for the top four which i and they got a game in hand so if they win that game in hand they go above liverpool and that's exactly what i imagine the chelsea board would be hoping for that they obviously felt that lampard wouldn't get chelsea into the top four so it By going for a new manager, new ideas, new vision or whatever, then that that may inspire them. And I think there's probably something in the fact that he speaks German and they they happen to invest a lot of money in players from Germany over the summer that may have played a part in Lampard's downfall. But then I'm sure Lampard will say, well, did I necessarily push for those players or not? I mean who knows that's a a question for for Lampard to answer but no I I've, I've been impressed by Tuchel I think he, I mean I guess at to PSG you've only done a good job if you've won the Champions League but he got closer to doing that than others have in the past by and they they were good in that final they, they should have won that final. they, they just didn't take their chances did they and Bayern Munich did that was the difference on that night so yeah I mean, I've been impressed by him and if they can get into the the top 4 of the season then their their decision to Sack Lampard, although it may seem harsh to those outside the club, will be perfectly justified.
2: Steve, one criticism of Chelsea, which I know you've had, is obviously that uh, the fact they signed uh, loads of players in the summer and very few of them seem to really fit Lampard's style, in particular Timo Werner, of course, who obviously Ralph worked with previously, um, albeit in True Saints form, he obviously scored twice in that 3-3 draw. But do you expect Tuchel to get more, I suppose, suited and and aligned system that then enables those players to really have an impact or do you think it's a bit of a bigger challenge than that, that you you know, might almost mean a few of them having to be sold? Um, I think probably mostly the latter, to be honest.
4: I, I think that Chelsea's squad, particularly with those all the signings they made last summer, their squad is really lopsided. There's no, you can't really necessarily pick a system that is definitely going to work and is definitely going to include all of, all of the big money players that they've paid for. I mean, there's a strong argument that Olivier Giroud is still their best centre forward, um, despite the fact that basically every single transfer window for the last three years, they've been trying to sell him. And it's a difficult one because obviously as that club is always in a win now situation, I don't think that Tuchel will necessarily have or maybe not even want the time to to kind of mould the the squad and the team to get the best out of certain individuals. I think he'll take a fairly pragmatic approach and pick the best players for based on what he's got at the moment. And we've we've already seen that with some of the players he's he's picking and leaving out. So Marcus Alonso's back in from the cold, and Ben Chilwell is suddenly picking splinters out of his ass, which is fairly extraordinary given they paid 50 million quid for him last summer. And Callum hudson Adoy is back back getting games, which I think is more certainly more of a positive from a from an England supporter perspective, that's going to give him, give him an opportunity to force his way into the, into the squad for the Euros. It was quite amusing seeing the, um, the sort of assumption that as soon as Lampard went, that um, supposed teacher's pet, Mason Mount was going to be just cast aside completely. And him leaving him out of the starting lineup for that first game was um, kind of just poured fuel on the fire there. But since then he's basically played, played pretty much every minute, I think, and there's probably been their best player. And so I, I would, you would imagine that 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 surely put that that kind of thing to bed, but I think they're going to be they're going to be there or thereabouts for the for the top four. I, I don't see I don't see that many teams that have got better squads than them. They've got they've got a lot of depth, even with even with a couple of sort of fairly fairly big looking injuries at the moment. They're going to be they're going to be challenging on multiple fronts. So and and Tuchel is a manager that's used to doing that. Obviously at, at PSG they're they were basically in every competition all the way to the end. And at Borussia Dortmund, they were they were generally in a title race most of the time um, until he basically fell out with everybody. And that, I mean, that the off-field thing is going to be is going to be the key with him and Chelsea because I mean that's that's a fireball waiting to explode at some point. It's a case of whether they get what they want out of him before it happens, I think.
2: I remember uh, Thomas Tuchel being linked with Saints when Claude Powell left and we ended up with Maurizio Pellegrino, didn't we? But uh, there we go. Um, From a a Saints point of view then, Glenn, uh, if we have a a poor home record against any visiting club to St Mary's since we moved there, then uh, Chelsea. I'll be uh, surprised, of course. The first ever competitive game at the stadium back in August 2001 was a 2-0 away win thanks to Jimmy Floyd, Hasselbank and uh, Mario Stanich goals. Uh, I do desperately try to find uh, positives on this pod, as everyone will know, Glenn, but since 2001 we played 12 at St Mary's in the Premier League against Chelsea. We've lost nine of them, including six of our last seven. So an incredibly obvious statement here, but it uh, has felt like a happy hunting ground for them and one we desperately need to change. Yeah, we do.
5: And in line with everything the other two guys have said, it's suddenly been made a lot more difficult than it would have been if Frank Lampard was still the manager. Uh, you know, I've watched Chelsea the last few games and, and they've looked very good. And I'm I'm very impressed that he's obviously said... I don't care how much you touch, how much you cost or who bought you. I'm going to pick what I think is the, is the best side. And, uh, it's interesting seeing players like Pulisic, who was probably untouchable, you know, under Lampard. He's, he's disappeared. You know, he's now an impact sub and, and Ziyech and people like that. So yeah, he, he's a manager who has been around at top clubs. He obviously knows what he's doing. They're going to be very, very difficult for us to get anything out of as any top six club is. I don't know if they've got, if they got a midweek game this week. Uh, well, they haven't played yeah, this weekend, have they? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, okay, we'll we'll have a d- a day extra rest, which we'll obviously need. But the, you know, the size of the squads that they've got, as as Steve said, it doesn't really make much difference. They'll be able to put 11 fully refreshed players on against us. So it will be it will be a tough game, and we've just got to approach it like we approached the game up at Chelsea earlier on in the season, where you know we we had that belief at that at that time that we could get something out of any game. And that that belief appears to largely be gone now. So we've got to put all the rubbish that's been happening in the last few weeks out out of our mind and uh, and go for it. And hopefully Ralph picks the right team. And and if we if things do go wrong, we have to respond the right way. We can't just fold. And, and that's the only way we're going to get anything out of this game because it's not going to be, it's not going to be a, you know, we score one in the first half, one in the second half and canter through to a nice, comfortable 2-0 win. That doesn't happen against teams like this. So, you know, there is going to be adversity that we have to overcome. And, and if we, if we don't do that then it's going to be another long afternoon, I'm afraid.
2: Agreed. Well, assuming my research is up to speed, which I obviously can't uh, guarantee, the last time uh, Hasenhutl faced Tuchel was in February 2017, when Tuchel's Dortmund side beat Rouss' RB Leipzig by a goal to nil, courtesy of a certain Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang strike. So... Dan, I think it's fair to say Ralph will probably, uh, obviously, know his history with Tuchel. He'll be keen to get one over on him again, and uh, that's alongside the six defeats in a row. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. We saw yeah, it's, it's one of the managers that Ralph will undoubtedly be testing himself against. He's a Tuchel's a top manager in Europe, and Ralph will see himself in that mould. So yeah, it's a it's another chance for Ralph to to pay his wits against one of the best and. He, he tends to, to thrive on that situation. Southampton have had good results against Liverpool, Man City, Tottenham. So, Ralph has a history of, of beating these, these, these elite managers. So, whether they can do that on Saturday um, or the game, I'm not so sure because I think Chelsea will come into the game in brilliant form and Southampton are out of sorts in the league. But, no, it'll be an interesting battle between the pair and I'm sure, I, I imagine they've, they've spoken in the past, they, they've they probably know each other. How close they are, I don't know, but it, it adds another dimension to it. That's for sure.
2: Mm. Just, just finally, Dan. I, I don't want to dwell on it loads because uh, we don't know what's going to happen this week and things like that. We obviously know Walker Peters is out. There's been a lot of chat around the goalkeeper position, hasn't there? Because uh, you know Fraser's obviously done a very, very good job in the FA Cup games. Has looked uh, you know very commanding and uh, charging out of his area and heading it and things like that. So um, at the very least, you get the feeling that he is really pushing Alex McCarthy at the moment.
3: I think so. And what I jokingly said this to someone earlier over WhatsApp, that Fraser's stock has never been higher. So it's almost perfect for Southampton. If they, if someone's going to buy him in the summer, then I'd, I'd keep him out of the team from now on because he's he's got four clean sheets and one against the the Premier League champions. But I, on, on a serious note, I do think, I mean, a question has to be asked, doesn't it, at some point as to how much longer do you stick with McCarthy? McCarthy? And that, that does sound harsh because the nine goals against United, they're you probably would. not You can't really blame him for any of them. There was obviously the stinker against Newcastle, and today's today's one when um, Neto scored. I I said at the time I thought he should have done better, but then a couple of people disagreed with me. So that one is, I guess, a six of one, half dozen of the other. Um, it was like the like the Madison
4: one, wasn't it? He's 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 in the right position, and yet somehow he's still been beaten in basically
3: the only gap where yeah. he could possibly be beaten. Yeah, yeah and and ultimately, I mean. Let's not forget. Up until the he missed a couple of games because of COVID, he'd kept like seven clean sheets, maybe six or seven clean sheets. So it is hard to say that he definitely needs to be dropped. But the fact that Forster Forster is breathing down his neck is only good. I mean, that that has to be one positive at the moment. That you'd like to think McCarthy will only get better, should only get better because he has generally got competition. And I think Forster did well again against Wolves. He did well to get across that goal, uh, across the goal to to deny um, Wolves Wolves a finish wasn't it so the question has to be asked at some point whether it gets asked now I'm not entirely sure Mm. yeah I don't want to feel like I'm uh, picking on
2: McCarthy because he's been very consistent but you know we're losing six games in a row you feel like there needs to be some changes because the uh, uh, the definition about doing the same thing over and over again etc and it's hard to see uh, other places in the team where potentially players are going to be dropped but uh, let's go on to some predictions then for uh, the Chelsea uh, game next weekend I get a feeling I know where this is going but uh, Steve let's start with you (laughs) Um, I think with a week's rest, I think we've got a chance to kind of examine ourselves and
4: see see where we where we go, and as a result I think we might have a tactical clue as to how we're actually going to play the game. Um, we haven't had this sort of time preparation for a game for a while, um, which I think helps, but the big but comes in that we now have a stonking great big hole at right back again, and Chelsea are very good in wide areas, um, so i Unfortunately I can't see anything other than other than a comfortable away win. Um so probably I don't know three one.
2: Three one, fair enough. Uh, I have to say that's what I've gone for as well, unfortunately. So yeah, just to jump in there as you've said that, three one as well. Um Glenn, what do you reckon?
5: Um
2: hmm. My
5: head says that we'll get beat 2-0. Um but I'm I'm not I'm not gonna predict that because... All, all runs have to end at some point so i'll go for a one all draw one-all which draw. i would be absolutely delighted I think we'd with we'd all take that right um, now we, we? we just need to st- we we need to stop this run of defeats you yeah. know that was that was it doesn't matter di- how it comes doesn't yeah, exactly. that was the main disappointing thing about today even if we got a draw yeah we would have been slightly disappointed having been in front but you know, to to get something other than a defeat has got to be the uh, got to be the aim. So I'll go I'll go for a one or draw.
2: Fair enough. Maybe we'll get a handball VAR penalty. Who knows to uh, sneak a draw at the end? But uh, Dan, what do you reckon? A three-one Chelsea win for me as well. All right, he's in there as well. There's a whole plethora of three-one Chelsea's there, isn't there? So uh, <laughs> fair enough.
1: Hi guys, I'm Danny Ings and you're listening to the Total Saints Podcast.
2: A big thank you for listening to this week's TSP. It's been a pleasure having you along for the ride. Don't forget you can check out Dan's great work via theathletic.com, Glenn's brilliant blogs via league1-10.blogspot.com and if you want a good old chat and or rant about all things Saints, then why not head to saintsweb.co.uk. As I mentioned at the start, please look out for our special and exclusive TSP 150 with Laurie McMenemy later this week. Hope you enjoy it. Otherwise, we'll catch you next weekend post-Chelsea, Thanks to Glenn, Steve and Dan. I'm off to find Mrs S so I can check we're still talking to each other. Keep marching in.